Welcome to Avowedcast, the fan podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming video game titled Avowed. My name is Sora. I'll be your host today, along with many other guests from around the world. Uh, we want to mention that we're not officially affiliated with Obsidian Entertainment, though if they would say that they saw a UAP, we believe them. Um, today, we're going to talk about Skyrim? Well, kind of. Today, we are going to answer the question for you that's burning in everyone's mind. Why Avowed will not be Skyrim 2.0. Mind your manners, I say. We have had our fill of foreigners. Welcome to Avowedcast. We have uh, quite a few guests this week, and we are going to be discussing the topic of why Avowed will not be Skyrim 2.0. Um, which I think is an interesting topic. And the reason I chose this topic this week is because I stumbled upon several discussions recently with people who maybe aren't as familiar with Obsidian or their products um, who saw the trailer for Avowed and immediately uh, were thinking Skyrim. And this is going to tide me over until the next Elder Scrolls game releases. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about that today and tell you why that's not going to be the case. Um, first, let's talk about what we've been up to. Uh, Gingerino, you're with us today. What have you been doing? Um, in terms of games, I, I haven't been playing a lot lately just because I haven't had as much dedicated time to get into a game real good. I th Someone talked about Greedfall. A couple episodes ago, I tried that, and that was really fun. I've been enjoying that. But um, I was talking with uh, Parenthesis just before the episode. Do you remember that uh, bundle for racial justice and equality that came out? I don't remember. Last year, was it? It was when Black Lives Matter. Yes. That, that, that's yeah. when it started to like really blow up because of all that. And so itch.io had, I think, like 13 or 1400 games in this bundle for five bucks. And That's of course, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, so of course I bought it. Right. And but I'd never really went through it. So lately, I've just been going through each game one at a time and just checking it out, seeing if I enjoy it. And there is some absolute trash in there, but there are some really good gems as well. Interesting. Name name one. All that right. You found that you really, really liked. Let's see. I've gone through 52 of the games so far, just checking it out. But um. There's some of the obvious ones like Celeste, uh, Short Hike, and Minute. Those are all obviously, I really like those. And Oh, you know, wow. Those are great games. I yeah. know. So those are good to have in there. But one I never heard of was called, this one is, I don't know why I enjoyed it, but it's called One Night Stand. And all it is, is you wake up in some other person's bed and then they wake up and a conversation ensues. You choose different dialogue options and you can get different endings depending on what options you choose. It's like a 15 minute game or half hour, I guess, depending on how long you sit there and ponder it. But it sounds I, really interesting. I, I don't know. Yeah, I just for some reason, I was like, that was cool. I want to see what other ending I can get. Like, I wanted to know what other endings I could achieve with this random stranger. It was yeah, it was fun. There's been a lot more like I got a lot of platformers in there that I enjoyed. I was really impressed with some of them, considering a lot of these are just like solo projects. <laughs> But there was there was some real janky ones. Uh, there was one yeah, where you had I mean, to play I can as imagine. A, there was one you had to play as a retail worker, and you had to like fill shelves with uh, 
you know, stock from the stock room and at the same time avoid customers because they would like suck your morale or something like that. <laughs> it was Weird. A survival horror game. It wasn't bad in the sense of like it it was unplayable, but I was just so cringe at a lot of this stuff. But it kudos on the comp- the people who made it. Very cool. Um Kiwi, what have you been doing? I gave the Auto Worlds another chance. I approached it with an open mind. And I enjoyed enjoyed it more than I did last time. While the game is still very it's very small, but there's actually a lot of content in there. Some of it is not that repetitive and uh, if you go to the if you go the dialogue heavy route, uh, you there's some surprising things that come forth. Um, it really raised my view on the other worlds and especially the creator of the game. And furthermore, uh, I I still I still see other worlds as the as the you know, proof of concepts or uh, uh, way for obsidian to prove that they actually can make a first person rpg still good point uh, and also while we're recording this i'm drinking gin <laughs> <laughs> well outer worlds and gin we hear got it here it's a good combination we'll get kiwi on the good side for outer worlds one day we're getting him there yeah i mean i i actually i totally kind of feel it feel what he's saying i mean i'll be honest with you um but uh i like the way you worded it proof of concept i agree with that uh parenthesis have you been playing any games lately none that are terribly interesting but i did uh, listen to an audiobook about video games uh, called blood sweat and pixels that are often turbulent stories behind how video games are made and it's a fast breezy behind the scenes look at the creation of uh uh, video games and uh, it's a good primer if you want a uh, how and why say Wee was made as a pillars of eternity how single man could make stardew valley and whatever happened to star wars 1313 so it's a good it's a book that's a good place to start about the stories of, of what these games are made it's less good to go into deep uh, it's a deep dive into how and video games you know actually function and, and what it does to the people who, who work on them. But as a collection of, what shall we say, uh, long-form trivia, I found it quite excellent. It's, I'm looking at it now. It's only $10, Amer- 10 American dollars on Kindle. And so I'm totally buying that. That's right up my alley. I love those kind of books. Um, I mean, I've read Game On, the Game Console, a bunch of those that I really liked. So that sounds... Amazing. Good share. Thanks for that. Might have done a good job. Like I might get that too. That sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Uh, it looks like it was just published in 2017. So it's obviously if it talks about Stardew Valley, it's pretty recent. So that that's very cool. Um, I've been on, uh, again, I'm at no, you know, I'm opening myself for criticism here, but I've been playing um, Pioneers of Olive Town on Switch which is a farming simulator kind of deal, which is basically Harvest Moon 
the people who did a harvest moon uh, lost the rights to the name but continued making the game uh, story <laughs> of seasons is the new name and uh, it's great I love it it's totally relaxing and totally non-challenging in a way that I I need sometimes these days and uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it I'm also still continuing my oblivion playthrough I am probably a good hundred more hours into it than I was the last time I spoke about it. Um, I'm just fascinated by that game because I forgot how, well, I know the, the flaws, but I forgot how good it was in a jump graphically from where they had been before. And there was only, I think Morrowind was 2002 and Oblivion was 2006. So we're talking about four years difference but the the game is is amazing so i played i did this i sat down and played oblivion logged out played skyrim the 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 best latest version the hd version whatever um and there wasn't as big a leap i mean yes skyrim obviously is is beautiful but that was 2006 to 2011, so not a huge difference. So I thought that was interesting to observe that that change of technology and that I don't even remember if they were using the same engine from Oblivion for Skyrim. I'm sure they weren't, but I, I can't remember. But anyway, it was, it's been fun going back and playing it. I think I might go back and jump back into Morrowind, which I love after Oblivion because it's now on the Xbox uh, backwards compatibility. So I'll probably jump in and try that again. Um, don't know why I wanted to dip into the old Elder Scrolls. It, it seems fitting for what we're talking about today, but um, considering just, uh, Bethesda just got put up on Xbox Game Pass, everyone's kind of paying attention to Bethesda. Yeah, games right now too. it did pop up on my feed. So that definitely was something I, that's probably what caused me to do it. You're right. Um, all those games like, I mean, Dishonored, I'm a huge fan of Dishonored. Like, I love that series. Um, I've played the first game through and through like five times. I mean, so there's lots of titles on there. Um, Prey, I've never played Prey. I'm not much of a shooter person, but I'll, I'll probably end up trying that one. Um, it's just, it's really cool that they just released all of that that library. Well, most of it, not all of it's out. But yeah, most they're of still missing out. a few. Uh, the whole like acquisition of Bethesda is an absolute game changer. But I mean, that's a that's an episode of itself. Right. Yeah. That's we. Yeah. We kind of been yeah. there. But yeah, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. It really doesn't help with the title of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's the truth. Um, so. I started with a controversial title and I did it on purpose. And the title is Avowed Will Not Be Skyrim 2.0. I'm expecting today that we will either defend or support that statement. And I just wanted to kind of put it in perspective and start off real quick by, by saying that I think that um, Obsidian has already got themselves in a little bit of trouble. And let me explain. Um, the trailer that came out for Avowed came out it was a critical point in gaming history because you have the launch of the consoles, which were preeminent. They were coming. They were they were very soon. Uh, big launch of a video game. Even though you know most of us are PC players, that's still a big deal, um, and it's a huge news cycle. So the audience for that was enormous. And this was the Xbox showcase in July, I think, or somewhere yeah. around there. Um, they were showing off their massive, like, get excited, here's what's coming. 
and then they showed the trailer um which is fine they didn't have a lot to show i understand that i'm sure you know it's 90 100% pre-rendered whatever uh but i think that they got themselves in an advertising problem because i think avowed is relying on its superficial similarities with the elder scrolls as part of its plan for success and that's a problem and I predict this is going to backfire in a bad way unless Obsidian begins to start to distinguish itself as different from Skyrim uh, very soon. And I think this is messaging they need to jump on now. I understand Avowed's not coming out till 2023, 2024, but you got to start. You've already kind of that audience that hasn't played Pillars of Eternity, that audience that is not familiar with your company. You've already set up these expectations, I think, in this in in the way that this trailer has played out, um, and and the lack of detail that you've provided. So now you have this audience who aren't familiar really really with your company, but are familiar with Avowed now. They know the title, and in their mind, a lot of these people are thinking Skyrim 2.0. Um, but I guess the first thing to do would be to talk about the difference between the companies. Um, and I think the difference, the main difference, or there's several differences, like Bethesda is big. Bethesda Game Studios has 420 employees just for their studio. Zenimax has 2,300. Um, they have studios in Montreal, Washington, D.C., well, Rockville, uh, Austin, Texas, and Dallas, Texas. They're huge. Um, they founded a long, long time ago. This is in like 1986 is when they were originally founded by Christopher Weaver, who, of course, they later fired and all that business. But um, their popular games are have are been around for a while. You have, I mean, key ones, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim. I think you could call their gameplay action role play games and be yeah. fairly accurate with that statement. Um, I think that Obsidian is different because Obsidian um, has a lot smaller office in Irvine, California. As of March of this year, they've ha they have 232 employees. Um, they were founded back in 2003, I think. They're not as old as um, Bethesda or have not been around as much as Bethesda. Um, they got their big start. I think their early projects were mostly sequels. They did like Neverwinter Nights 2, Fallout New Vegas, Dungeon Siege 3. I think they did a South Park game. Yeah, Stick of Truth. Yeah, Star, uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. So they did a lot of sequels. They were faced with closure, financial troubles, and that's kind of when they, they had their epiphany and did Pillars 1. They crowdfunded Pillars 1, huge success course later acquired by Microsoft in 2018 um, but I would say that they're overall they're a smaller studio um, I think that they tend to be more focus driven and have narrowed narrowed design focus whereas I believe Bethesda is more uh, the sky's the limit I don't <laughs> know if that's fair really yeah. um, do you guys see any other differences between the studios in general yeah. Well, I'd terms. like, uh, okay, I, I'll go first then. Uh, um, like, I don't know about differences, but they have like some limited, like, uh, mutual history in some games, especially Fallout. Like, I guess right. 
like it was Tim Kane who had the, like a, a really really big role in Fallout One and Two, and you know later Bethesda bought the uh, the IP for Fallout and they made Fallout Three, and later then uh, was it Obsidian who did the Fallout New Vegas, right? And then Bethesda continued with Fallout Four and Seventy Six, and now the Obsidian when the Obsidian did the Outer Worlds, this you know there's so much similarities with Fallout. It's like it's a it's a dystopian setting with you know many many of the same mechanics. It's if you if you know how to play Fallout, you know there's not much difference when it comes to uh, the Outer Worlds, and I'd say that. Obs- it's yeah, you're tr- true saying that Obsidian has made the mistake of se- like portraying about this as some kind of a Skyrim type of game. You know, the end of the trailer, you see the guy with the like first person view of the guy with the sword and a, a spell, and that's so Skyrim like, but you know, they they've all done that with uh, the other worlds also and i think it's it's deliberate thing that they do yeah what did you call it you call it dog whistling oh uh, good term well, <laughs> yeah dog, yeah dog whistle is basically like it's it means that uh, it's a thing that only some people recognize and so that's a way to you know that you make the the dog whistle most of the people don't get it they don't see it but the certain people will acknowledge mm. it so you're definitely honest of it right because when skyrim came out uh it was it was a huge deal for so many gamers like it was a huge game memes on the internet everywhere and you literally spent what, hundreds of hours at a screen with a left hand doing something and a right hand doing something so that like images burned into your brain it's like i can't imagine that doing that in the reveal trailer for avowed wasn't on purpose where they because as soon as i saw the two hands my brain went oh i know what that is and it was weird how automatic it was right yeah some people said that they actually recognized anti-aliasing uh effect on the last clip so the last clip wasn't actually cinematic interesting okay i hadn't heard that like they it does yeah, have a different feel to it yeah they notice it on the edge of the sword i'm gonna go back and watch it now that's cool (laughs) even just even just the movement and but you know i attributed it to just being first person so they kind of changed it up but there there was a difference in how the video looked but who knows i'm not an expert i i would say that i think that if we're going to just pull the scope if we're going to pull pull back pull back our lens you're looking at at two totally different studios even though they do have some similarities i think their similarities very broadly are they have experience with role-playing games i would almost argue obsidians is a little bit deeper if you don't know their history um and they both appreciate lore and lore's placement in the game even though maybe one is more deeper than the other that's our an argument we can have another day but i think those are similarities they're comfortable with the genre they they have experience they know kind of know what they're doing and they know what players like and don't like to a certain extent 
differences. One's a huge studio, one's small. One focuses on a large scope and one is more, uh, one is broad and one is focused. And I can explain that later. Uh, one is probably less story driven and uh, open world focused. Um, and the other is probably more heavily story driven and closed world focused, meaning that um, I would argue that Bethesda's products tend to be more open world focused less story driven, more variety and possibilities. Whereas Obsidian's products typically heavily story driven, not necessarily a closed world, but uh, uh, deeper possibilities instead of more possibilities would be the way I would phrase it. Um, does anybody, how do you feel about those two comparisons? Those are pretty good uh, classifications. I mean, like you said, the oh, just the difference in the maps. Like a lot of Bethesda games are completely open world; you can go anywhere, and there's a, a heavy emphasis on exploration. Whereas a lot of Obsidian games, their maps are segmented. You know, Pillars of Eternity, you go from uh, Gilded Vale and then over to Valewood, and then you can go from there somewhere else. Like they have their own dedicated maps for certain sections. Um, that was not the case for Fallout New Vegas, but you know that was also a spinoff of Fallout Three using the same engine and all that. And you look at the outer worlds, then it's kind of back to the way they like to do things, where the maps are all kind of they're separated. You go to this location; it's its own dedicated map. The irony is that I actually feel that while Bethesda is is far more it's far more common for them to make open worlds and to make uh, make everything interconnected, the actual locations actually feel less connected. Uh, I often see, I mean, if we go back to, say, Fallout 3, you could, you could encounter all sorts of weird shit. And it was all like, oh, well, well here's the Republic of Dave. Uh, <laughs> here is, here's a small family of, of cannibals. Okay, what do they add to the, the overall story and theme of the, of the game? Oh, nothing. Oh, uh, they're just a, a fun diversion. And that's fine. But then we go to say Fallout New Vegas, and it's also like, okay, what does does this place add to to uh, to the overall theme? Oh, it, it ties it directly into it. It's it's, it's part of it. Uh, ah, interesting. Do you feel like that could be attributed to the way the studio works, and that you have a very large studio to work with with Bethesda, so you can basically say, oh, hey, you guys, you take this area. Oh, hey, you guys over here this area, you guys in Montreal that are on the phone call, you take this area, whereas Obsidian is is small. I don't want to make it sound like they're super small. I mean, 200 and something employees there and plus Microsoft now. But I think they're they're designed that if you if you've really looked into the way they work on products, I think they're very interconnected. The communication is tighter. Um, so I think there's less chance of that's why there's less chance of you stumbling on something random that has no connection to anything else with an Obsidian product. Is that fair? When you said Bethesda is more action RPG oriented, I think that's it's it's like a spectrum where you know having a full act full action game is on the one side and on the other you have and CRPG that is as true to D&D as possible. And then as you increase the amount of action, you decrease the amount of you know, rule sets and other RPG-ish mechanics. And I think 
uh, Obsidian tries to be more true to the RPG than the action. But I can I can understand why for many reasons, especially like sales-wise, uh, Bethesda would like to have more action-based games as, it's, as it sells much more than, uh, for example, CRPGs. I, you know, I really, really <laughs> like to see another C- great CRPG from Obsidian. I, 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 I fear that the genre is again like dying and awaiting for a new revival. I think the audience is there. They've proven that. So the CRPG audience is there. It's and with the success, I mean, they, obviously they weren't huge critical successes. I mean, not critical. They were critical successes, but not huge commercial successes. Um, I mean, they still made money and they still made back what they paid into it and then some. And I feel like they have proven that it works. And we do know that there are people at that studio who their bread and butter was, you know, interplay and the the isometric engine and all of that, you know. So that history is is deep within the Obsidian Company. I I would almost guarantee they have something. Um, I don't think it'll be Pillars Three, but I think they have something going on. That's just my thought. I don't think they could leave that off to the side of the road completely. Yeah, but there is still like on like like an off topic. Uh, uh, I'd say there are some like revival of new small game studios, like the if you heard heard maybe it's old news already, but like some from Blizzard, some old or guys or some some like mm, experienced people left Blizzard and they made like two separate new studios. To one, what I think what started working on like some new RTS game and other ones started making some new other type of games. But I think there is some kind of a revival of you know, games, gaming studios that try to uh, you know, make great games and not necessarily just make as much money as possible. Well, it definitely is. I mean, did any of you watch the ID at Xbox Twitch? Video? I did. I watched the whole thing, yeah. I, I don't know if this is something that stood out to you or not, and I didn't watch the whole thing, but this stood out to me. It was like, if you flash back, I think even 10 years ago, all the game trailers were these like flashy, polished, three-dimensional um, su- like super games, right? Like they're just pushing the technology to the limits. Everything's open world and uh, first person, or I guess third person. But, it, you know, it's all the, the new age technology, new games kind of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff I've been seeing just in the last couple of years where it's like 2D platformers. You know, I've seen isometric stuff like in the ID at Xbox uh, Twitch stream they had. I think I saw two or three isometric style games and several two dimensional games. And 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that as like one of the mainstays attracting people to your new console. But now you are. I think that's because there's a lot of attraction to that gameplay. A lot of indie gamers have made that really popular and shown a lot of success with it. And I've been actually seeing a lot more isometric CRPG style games come back into the forefront just in the last couple of years. So I, I, don't, I think it'll come back pretty strongly. Yeah, there's been some great indie games, like, you know, going very pixelated, like the uh, Noita game, where you control this kind of a. Uh, uh, visit or sorcerer and it's a 2d game like uh the, the guy um, 
I don't know, remember, I don't remember the game, but in the, this game, like every single pixel is uh, simulated uh, separately with physics, and it's like looks really nice. And I and back to what uh, Gingerino was saying with Microsoft, I feel like. I feel like Microsoft has, and I'm giving them credit here, I feel like they've always really tried to engage the Indie community, and they did it back with uh, the 360. It kind of blew up in their face a little bit with the Xbox Live Marketplace. They almost ran into the same trouble that hit Atari, where people were just throwing trash out and putting, you know, and but... Um, they, I think they have streamlined it. I think that um, with that that thing that went up yesterday or the other day, um, the ID at Xbox, uh, you're right. I mean, it. there's several things that are changing, like as we speak, are changing dynamically and quickly. And, and I think what you're seeing is more smaller studios, like Gingerino was saying. We're talking two people, one person, three people, kind of like Parenthesis mentioned about... Uh, the the guy who made the farming game what's it what's it called again Stardew Valley. yeah stardew valley yeah so you're gonna see more of that i think that it's 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 similar to what happened with with film i hate to use that example but it, it is it's similar to what happened with the pervasiveness of indie movies and how those now are reaching exponential levels because of the availability of the technology the knowledge that is out there that's for free, it's no longer this island way off in the distance that you think you'll never get to. Um, anybody can pick up an, an iPhone and, and make a movie now and have an idea. Well, that's kind of happening with gaming. I feel like that is definitely, and I feel like Microsoft is pushing that. And Noita is a good example. I think that we'll see more of that. I think that Hades was another example that, extreme success and if i'm correct i haven't really dug into it but if it's um isometric right mm, hades yeah. hades is right i mean it's not an rpg really i mean but i think the key will be making thing making these games less roguelike and i think yeah. that that's how they will become more mainstream i think people are starting to recognize that there are more than just first person and third person kind of games that can also be really good because i think for a long time in the main mainstream gaming community that those are kind of viewed as old style you know like oh, yeah, isometric and 2d platforms that's old generation stuff but i think people are starting to recognize again that you know those those don't need to necessarily go away we can take we can bring them back and improve upon them and make them current generation and i think that's what we're starting to see now now that we're kind of coming out of the flashiness of all the super high polished 3d worlds that we get so just tilting it back towards the the skyrim versus avowed uh discussion i wanted to talk about a couple of key areas of game development and then get your input on how you feel that avowed will distinguish itself because i i i will be very clear i i think they are i think like many of you have already said they know what they're doing with their marketing they're not they're not messing around. They understand that they're trying to pull that Skyrim audience in. But I also am hoping and I believe that they know that they cannot make Skyrim 2.0 because of so many factors of bringing in this audience that is used to that very, um, I'll get emails for this, but very bland and uh, 
spread out kind of approach um, coming yeah. into a game that's very hyper-focused and that I believe will be very story-driven. And I believe, you know, I mean, let's be honest, in Skyrim, you can leave Helgen and never complete the main quest. I don't think that's something you're going to see happen in Avowed. But anyway, I, let's start with a real <laughs> broad strokes, uh, game world. So when we're talking about this game world, and you've kind of hinted at it already with some of your comments, um, we're talking things like atmosphere, how it looks and feels, visuals, uh, the way that um, Obsidian builds its worlds versus the way that Bethesda builds its worlds. Um, what are ways that you think Avowed might take a different approach to uh, game world design for their product? Purple and green. <laughs> the color palette will be different for sure. <laughs> Very green. I, I mean, I notice when I play Elder Scrolls games that a lot of the aesthetic comes through in kind of like set pieces and environmental design. You know, like um, they have they they have uh, both games have their own unique bestiary and they have their unique aesthetic. In fact, they're kind of inspired by different time periods from our world. But the contrast set against, I think, an Obsidian RPG is they tend to get across the game world a lot more in, in like a relating to your NPCs, Skyrim and all that does it as well. But I don't know. I felt like I tasted the flavor of Skyrim more through just interacting with the world and looking at it and playing around with the magic. Whereas in an Obsidian game, I feel like I get a real taste for that world by interacting with the people or the characters, I guess, that Obsidian puts in. I, I think that's my key difference between the two. Yeah, the environmental storytelling is... It's really something that Bethesda knows how to do. Yeah, and I agree with you about interacting with the people versus the world. I think that's a big key difference. But when we're talking about like um, look and feel, I mean, let, let's let's talk about how does it feel to play an Obsidian game versus how does it feel to play a Bethesda game? Um, and we can even venture into the concept of story mm. because I think story plays into feeling very, very much. We've talked about that in the past, that how critical story is. Um, how do you feel when you play through a story yeah. in a Bethesda game versus how do you feel when you play through one in an Obsidian game? I, I, I feel like um, uh, with like Bethesda games, the first... Like the world usually feels like some kind of a sandbox or, you know, world is your oyster. You do what you do and like you, you, do, you do not actually stop, stop to think usually. With um, Obsidian games, I tend to play uh, with a, you know, less speed. I, I take my time. I, I try to immerse myself more as the sometimes or yeah sometimes the world or the stories is more rich and that means you have to take it slow and you know just sit for a while yeah i just when you were saying like how does it feel to play different i remember playing fallout 3 for the first time and i remember not really feeling and an impending need to continue on in the main story you know, like if I was following a quest marker in Fallout 3 or Fallout 4 or anything, and then I saw something interesting to the left or the right, 
I would be like, whatever, I'll just go and check it out because I didn't I didn't feel super driven to continue the storyline, even though I wanted to just for progression's sake, because I'm a gamer. But then in Obsidian, like I find their storytelling so well done that I want to I want to find out what the next narrative beat is. I also want to explore an area thoroughly enough because I want to know how I can solve the the next problem in a very thorough way. But sometimes when I'm exploring, I, I I will like put it aside for later because like I just have to know what happens next. I feel a lot more like impending need to continue on in an Obsidian game, whereas in Bethesda, I've noticed I'm, I'm really okay with just turning the game on and wandering away for a mile or two, which I've never thought about that before. Yeah, I think like when Bethesda makes a main story, it's usually very straightforward. And if you do just the main story, you skip so much content. But when Obsidian makes a game, the like Pillars One, the main story isn't so it's longer and it's more straight it's not so straightforward. It, you go you are introduced to many things and it's very natural that in the course of the main story there's some side stories that you also complete that sometimes they have some synergies with the main story and it feels more natural or organic to pick up those side stories or the side quests on the way. They, they really do reward you in an Obsidian game for, for doing those side quests because you're right, it does tie in. It makes the world a little bit richer and it makes the narrative more impactful. I think the, 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 the core difference we're talking about here is that Bethesda, at least in my view, makes games where in a world that has stories in it, where Obsidian makes games that tells you a story or stories that take you through a world. Oh, that's a great, I love that phrase. Parenthesis, put that on a t-shirt, I will buy it. Oh my gosh, that is so great. I mean, that is a great way to put it. I absolutely agree with that 100%. I wanted to move on to to talking about what um, Gingerino mentioned, and that is interacting with the NPCs in the world. And this is also kind of what Parenthesis hinted on with his comment. Um, and not just the NPCs, but the interaction with the NPCs and not just the interaction between the main player and the NPCs, but the NPCs and the NPCs in the games. How are these different? How is this approach different between Obsidian and Bethesda? I feel like Obsidian in Obsidian games, the NPCs have real relationships with one another. It's not the, you know, it's not just focused on the main player and that I also feel like that's a way that Obsidian advances the story um, in in a very real way. Um, I feel like the dialogue options and the branching and the uh, things that happen with NPCs in an Obsidian game is, again, much deeper. There, There is a lot of thought there. These have consequences. These, um, I don't know, it just feels more mass effecty um than a uh skyrim for example whereas you go into a city in skyrim and you you talk to 10 different people and get the same three options um you go into anywhere in pillars you're going to get a wide variety of options but also you're going to get these relationships that sprout between the characters like they have backstories they have histories they there's more to it. it was, there's a lot more meat to it. Um, how do you how do you envision that? Do you do you agree with that? 
I do agree with that. Um, but I'd say that, like, yeah, NPCs are really great with Obsidian, but uh, sometimes they some NPCs feel like islands, you know, and sometimes they don't. But I'd say if Obsidian really wanted to push, you know, Avowed in some good direction, like better, I'd say um, that allow p people to explore more and find something interesting. Uh, I mean, we wanted to, the title to be, you know, don't be like Skyrim and whatnot, but you no, know, I actually love exploring and in Skyrim there are so many like uh, unrelated to story place, some many places, many caves that are actually very interesting inside sometimes. But, you know, Obsidian does what they do and I hope what they choose is right. I would almost take it another step and say that everything about the NPCs is different. And by this, I mean, let's think about voice acting. And that's a that's a thing I nitpick with um, with Fallout. I nitpick with Skyrim. I, I have a real problem with the way they, they handle that. I mean, Skyrim was ridiculously bad. You had um, Sven was his name. He was the the guy in the town, Riverwood or whatever it was that you first go to. Um, his <laughs> oh, yeah. voice, his voice also is 32 other NPCs in the game. Same mm -hmm. voice. You have members of the same family in a Skyrim village, same family, same location who have different accents. One is a Nord, one's American. How can that be? <laughs> it just shows a lack of polish and a lack of valuing those NPCs and their stories and their relationships and where they come from. I think that's the challenge of having such a huge crew to deal with. Like you gotta, cause you're trying to make this one game that's very detailed, but you have multiple studios, you have lots of teams and you know, you get your voice actors in, they come and do all these lines and then you turn out, Oh man, the guy that we had for dialogue with this should have been with this character, but what are you going to do? Pay him again to do all the lines for a separate NPC when it's a, a slightly minor detail, right? So I, I think that's just the challenge of being so yeah. massive. Yeah, yeah I, I think they should just, hide, for example, hire more voice actors. But uh, when talking about NPCs, the when you talk to NPCs like the first time, I feel like it's a you know fantasy or fantasy trope that that the way NPCs uh, talk to you is like when you talk to some you know, when in real life, when you talk to someone, you know, you don't know in public, they're not going to offer you a quest. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Kiwi, but yeah, but, I mean, if they, I don't, it's this would be a very hard thing to do, but if they could make NPC uh, conversation or reaction or whatever the interaction with them a little bit more organic. On our level, I find that uh, NPCs in, in Obsidian games and uh, Bethesda games are different. Is on, on a structural level where Bethesda will often mark an NPC as uh, invincible or unkillable or what you want to call it, where Obsidian tries to, to minimize uh, the number of, of NPCs there is that. I mean, or at least then try to come up with a reason why you can't kill them. I mean, I think it was a design dictat by uh, Josh Sawyer in, in Fallout New Vegas, where it was sort of like, well, uh, when you meet an NPC on on, uh, on this route, you should assume that 
the uh, you should vaguely assume that the player character won't kill them before they talk to them. But after that, you should pretty much expect them to breathe fire and shoot lasers out of their eyes all the time. So, you know, place a, a quest document or note on a computer or something like that. Yeah. So that Obsidian the could consider. Yeah. yeah, very murder-focused Obsidian. <laughs> they do seem to be focused on that. Well, I would also say that, um, I mean, this isn't necessarily in the realm of an NPC, but um, the way that they view party systems and the way they view companions is radically different as well. And I think if you're coming to Avowed, um from skyrim i think you're going to see something radically different i'm hoping but i'm pretty sure you are and that i mean skyrim in and of itself had over 40 recruitable followers um new vegas which was made a little bit before that had eight pillars had 11 so we're talking about a very different look at, at the companion system and the party system in general um, whereas Skyrim, you have basically one follower who really doesn't do a whole lot other than mess up your stealth. So, um, I mean, how do you see an obsidian approach? How do you feel avowed will approach companions knowing what you know about the way it was handled in pillars? I mean, it's, that's hard to say because the, the genres are a bit different. Like a lot of CRPGs lend themselves to having multiple companions that you can control individually but then you look at outer worlds which is obsidian made and you have two companions you can't take control of them uh, they just run on an ai i think just that first person um method the first person genre doesn't uh, allow it as much i'm not saying it can't do it like um some games have tried like dragon age dragon they, age yeah they i remember playing inquisition for the first time and just being able to switch between four people and like that was a that was a game changer. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they did it before, so I should probably not say game changer, but uh, I could see them trying that for Avowed, especially if they want to keep that flavor of Pillars of Eternity in it. I I really liked in the the Outer Worlds the way they uh, that the companions are you know they have you know some you know big rich storyline and. Uh, Maybe even if it ties to the main story somehow, that's a big plus. And that they, you know, they bring something else to the party or your player other than just, you know, having an auto attack. You know, uh, you know they can boost some of your skills. And I think that's really great, like how they did in DOE or in Pillars 2. Yeah, I, I like the interplay between uh, companions. How uh, I I also again go back to I hate me saying beating a dead horse, but I really feel like the companions and pillars are are deep. Are I don't feel I know they are significantly deeper developed. They are significantly more personality. They, I mean, you're going to see richness when you look at NPCs and avowed and companions in avowed. Um, I don't know that they're going to do the Dragon Age route. I mean, I have no idea if they're going to do a party system or not. I understand what you're saying with isometric and I agree with that, but I do feel that this is a, another area that's going to be radically different. I think it's going to be good though. It's going to be in the favor of even casual gamers are going to enjoy a richer, deeper, characters 
personally, I'm hoping for kind of a, a complete meld of the two. Like, and I know a lot of people will probably say this is dumb, but like what I would love is if you're playing your character um, and you completely control everything on your character. Um, and then you can enter into kind of a mode where it becomes isometric. Like you look over the battlefield and you assign tasks to your uh, party members. Like hopefully you can have more than two. Get them to, you know, you assign um, executable commands, essentially. Go here and then go here, attack here. You do the spell after that kind of thing. And then they've just run those commands like, um, like you would in Pillars of Eternity if you link up the commands with the shift key. And then you control just your character. I, yeah. I I like that a little more. You could micromanage it if you want, or you could just let the AI take over. I think it's yeah. good to have the both options. Yeah. And I think, well, maybe adding to that, or 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 you know, an alternative to that, have uh, pillars two style AI that you can modify. Um, but when it comes to you know story, uh, it's not just the characters. I in Avowed, I'd like to see a story uh, which doesn't only have one ending. You know, in Skyrim, uh, you have only for the main quest you have only one ending. You defeat, you know, the big dragon or whatever. But <laughs> in Avowed, I'd like to see, you know, pillars or Fallout style choose the ending. You know, have different playthroughs. I think that would be great. I feel like, uh, yeah, if you if you tag onto that, you really could have multiple main stories in a way. If you if you dig into what Kiwi just said, but I also feel like it's an insult to main quests in the world to call Skyrim's thing a main quest. I, I, I it's not a main quest. It's a side quest that's bigger. That's all it is. It is not a main quest. I don't feel like any game made by here we go emails come in any game made by bethesda no bethesda game in the world that's been developed ever has a main quest ever yeah because the game doesn't end when you end the main right. quest. it's just a side quest a bigger side quest more developed side quest which is what their other side quest should be like oh yeah a lot of people didn't a lot of people never got to beat alduin at the end of skyrim because they were just busy climbing mountains and getting their horses in weird places hey guys sorry to interrupt i actually wanted to add um regarding the the quest sort of structure maybe that that could be implemented in avowed um so there was one sort of proposition that i had back when i was doing my videos about the avowed suggestion videos so i mentioned it actually has ties down to what you said gingerino so something along the lines of um the horses i believe no 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 no, no. the <laughs> explorations the explorations. so you're talking about you know the mountains people who are exploring mountains so what i suggested is that maybe avowed should integrate this thing called like i call it the discovery storyline and so you can learn more about it in the video but basically what it is is it's sort of like there is no sort of um route to how you take the storyline aside from just exploration so the casual typical and classical way of how sort of quest structures are sort of implemented in say previous rpgs like the witcher or skyrim is that it's more like you talk to somebody they tell you where to go you get there you do it then you come back to the person who assigned it to you and then they give you sort of a reward or something like that right and, and there's obviously you know some variations to how the quest structure goes but the way i was suggesting to do it is sort of like you start off the game immediately 
and then you can explore anywhere you want, right? And then no matter which places you go, it sort of progresses the storyline depending on certain landmarks you explore, right? So if you happen to explore that mountain, maybe there's sort of some sort of like treasury or landmarks that are that exist there. And they sort of like, for example, uh, you'd have to go through maybe some sort of like 10 minute uh, maybe event or, or maybe like sort of... Um, yeah, like a situation that sort of breaks it down to you in a way where like, okay, you know, this is what we want to let you know about the storyline. This is a really, for example, evil character or protagonist or yada, 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 right? And so that's how sort of the storyline gets furthered and like, I would say, progress from there on out. So that was sort of my idea. I don't know if it like, I obviously haven't tested it or haven't seen it in like other games or personally integrated it or whatnot. But I'm actually curious to see if this is something, maybe an idea that could work and avowed. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I want to hear your thoughts about that. I, I actually, it's an interesting concept. And what came to, to my mind was that, you know, in Skyrim, in the main quests, you, that in order to learn more stuff from the Greybeards, you have to do start the main quest and, and progress through it. But if it was possible to mm-hmm. go straight to the Greybeards, not do the main quest, persuade them to, to teach you this stuff. So uh, it would be saying that there are some things in the main quest that are necessarily not, you know, they don't have to be in some linear fashion, but you can actually, uh, you know, take other ways to approach it or for sure yeah yeah but but you know something else too is that is that like i would say one complaint that 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 uh, i would say that really is sort of um existing and sort of this the approach that i mentioned and and also has ties down to how to sort of what you mentioned tv but like multiple approach to go with the gray beards but one sort of main complaint that i that i sort of received from that sort of idea is that is that hey you know what if um you know i want to sort of get a sword or something like that from from a person who wants to who wants me to get it right but there's no way to know because i never communicated with them so my kind of response to that was sort of like I mean, don't get me wrong, you're kind of missing out on that, sure. And I don't mean to disrespect the structure of the storyline in itself, but it does kind of seem a little bit petty, given that maybe there's so much room for potential to sort of seize that opportunity to go for something bigger, right? So for example, would you rather have a storyline to go, you know, fetch, uh, you know, Papa and Mama's, you know, (laughs) sword that's sort of lost in sort of the wilderness? Or would you want to go maybe learn more about sort of the protagonist that's sort of, you know, giving a more pressing issue on the game world right and then maybe that's you know again there's like i would say more consequences to that than for example fetch a sword or to go maybe sort of uh maybe collect some coins or or go maybe you know assassinate or something like a very small maybe i don't want to say political figure or something like that in the game or doing any sort of related i would say activities to that seems a little bit petty to me in this sense but um you know I don't know. I feel like maybe to go with something more pressing, yeah, a discovery yeah. situation, like a discovery storyline, I feel like yeah, would I be think, sort of... I think that's like making things be more organic or some... Like, I, what came to my mind from what you were speaking is that uh, you could have Witcher 3, like, you know, a posting board that when you have these little petty quests, they could be, you know, people posting, you know, a paper and i need help with this and you wouldn't 
have this quest if you actually went to that person and talked unless you you know progress to dialogue in in some deep way not just that greetings and they offer you a quest yeah yeah to have more of a like a get to know them kind of thing or maybe once you've done enough in the neighborhood and and you've talked to them prior to then they would be like hey like i've seen you help around um and this is awkward but i'd like to ask you for help or something you know rather than like hello you look like a handsome lad would you help me with my quest please you'll notice a marker right. floating above my head but yeah. I, uh, I wanted to push uh, to not push back that's the wrong word the triumph is mentioning the discovery quest line i think there's such a there's a cool there's a really cool idea there what if you had a main quest line in an rpg like from start to finish you did the main story and at the end of the game uh, you had the resolution that they had written into the narrative or different options for resolutions. But what if there was a second, um, a complete second quest line that's like Triometry's discovery quest line that he talked about that brings in hidden information that completely changes the way you look at the main quest? What if you find out, what if you played a game from start to finish, finish the game, and you replay it a second time, let's say, and you discover by doing all the exploration that you actually picked the bad option. You thought you were working for the good guys, but you were actually playing for the bad guys. And you wouldn't have known that if you skipped all the exploration. Yeah, it's like playing POE1 and not being able to side with Theos. Yeah, but what if you found out in Pillars that, like, what if there was a whole other discovery quest line in the background that showed a lot of the leaden key and a lot of theos that made you go actually i think i'm going to align with this guy because all we have is what we found so far and i love the way obsidian did it but i i don't know i like the idea of melding the two types of quests together like this discovery one that uh triometry is talking about mm -hmm. and a mainline quest line yeah I, I like both of them myself i i think it's a really ingenious approach um i did want to take it back a tick and talk about um, uh, what we might see as differences when it comes to bestiary and uh, the animals, the vegetation, the the creatures, monsters, however you want to call it, um, and how those are handled differently by the two companies. Um, uh, you have the Skyrim approach, um, which is definitely one one way they kind of have stuck with uh what they started with back in arena i mean they haven't changed too much honestly um and then you have uh the the bestiary and pillars of eternity and aura and then you have intertwined with that i think intertwined with this discussion of the bestiary we can talk a little bit about combat um and how that might be different between the two and how they both handle uh, fighting and how they both handle um, dealing with these creatures in, in the wild. Any thoughts on how those would be different? I'd say Obsidian maybe has bestiaries. Well, maybe the Outer Worlds is a bad example for because it has such a limited bestiary, but I think many enemies are at least in pillows games uh, they have some like very special things that uh, they differentiate differentiate from from other beasts in some not in combat way like you you cannot approach this you know this beast in conventional ways you have to do something else 
uh, to overcome it. And uh, this, you know, beast theory and but it all all ties to also the level of scaling because uh, when it like in Skyrim you have these certain like groups groups or types of enemies that then when when you level up uh, you have uh, stronger or different versions or reskins of those like you have bandits and then you have bandit marauders or, or whatnot uh, and I what I'd like to see in Avowed is that you actually wouldn't have a level scaling so you actually feel stronger uh, when you level up and uh, the different beasts actually feel different or some are harder than the others i have uh, a couple things uh, regarding bestiary although i do i will say agree with kiwi on the level scaling i like that the certain creatures stay at certain levels and they don't level with you because it's cool to come back to an area and one shot a creature that you had to fight really hard against later on. Uh, it's really rewarding, uh, personally. Um, but like the difference, I think a lot, for, at least for me, with bestiary in Skyrim versus something like Pillars of Eternity or even the Outer Worlds is like I have it up right now. I have a, a troll article from fandom uh, in Skyrim, and most of the descriptions are mechanical things like things that are important for how to fight it or like what matters like it mentions that it regenerates health and that it's weak to fire etc 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 there's like a tiny there's like one part on this whole page that describes what the troll is then i switch over to the pillars of eternity gamepedia for a troll and there are three paragraphs describing what a troll is how it operates what it thinks and like what it looks like like there's just a lot of detail behind it and then even if you go to the outer worlds which is a lot less detailed than pillars since it's not you know a um, literal game like lots of reading i look up just one of the basic enemies in the outer worlds like the primals and even though there's a lot of stuff just talking about gameplay mechanics there's a decent section dedicated to just talking about the biology of the primals and i think that's one difference between Obsidian bestiaries in their games and Bethesda's bestiary in the games because Bethesda is more focused on giving the player information that's relative to you when you're playing a game, whereas Obsidian is more trying to get across like the story behind the bestiary, behind this animal. I was recently doing a lore episode talking about uh, I can't remember I can't remember which episode I brought it up on, but I, I looked into one of the creatures in Pillars of Eternity, the Delamgon. And I was blown away by how much of a background there was to that creature that you never know about in the game unless you go out of the way to read a book about it. It's just there's so much detail about what makes this creature even exist in the first place and what it conceptually is. Like I, I never got something like that from Skyrim. Not that it isn't there if you go looking for it. But yeah, I just... hope Avald has an in-game encyclopedia. Yeah, I'm sure that it'll have that richness and depth. I do feel I agree with you about the level scaling 100%. I I remember when first when Oblivion came out and they talked about it, the way they sold it it sounded really interesting um in that um you know, trying to keep the challenge appropriate uh through AI and trying to uh I don't know. I I understand what they were going for. I do feel like it's a failed um, and miserable idea. Um, I, I going back to um, uh, 
white run outside white run and having a uh i don't know a bear be as much a challenge to me as it was when i was level one does not make any sense i mean it it simply doesn't and I loved in Morrowind, I've talked about this before, where you could randomly walk into a cave and it would be the worst decision you ever made in your life. I mean, you would just be, you would, you, blood would drain from your face. You would just, you would be one-shotted. You would be, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And then you remember that and you're like, okay, fine, be that way. Just wait. And then later you come back and you're like, all right, well, let me show these guys who's boss. That just is a really good feeling. And uh, I really hope that, and I, I believe pretty strongly that they're not going to fall into that trap um, with Avowed. I don't feel Avowed is going to have level scaling. I, I, I feel it's going to be a more realist, realistic world. It's going to be uh, richer, as you guys have been implying with pretty much everything we've been saying is it's going to be richer. Now, understand, when we're talking about this, email people, I love Skyrim. I've played more of that game than probably any other game in the world. I, I love I love Oblivion. I'm playing it right now. I love I just I love those games. This does not mean they're bad games, but what I'm saying is with this whole discussion is you need to have different expectations. You're gonna see different approaches and different things, and those are necessary because you don't want to have a company release a product that is basically a mirror image of a product they already have, or they are already going to re-release a few years down the road. It doesn't make sense financially. It doesn't make sense for the company's identity. And it doesn't make sense to water down something that Obsidian has worked really hard to develop. I mean, why would you do that? You have such rich richness that you've already developed uh, and your your reputation don't water it down. They're not going to. I'm telling you that they, they know what they're doing. Um, what about uh, character development and creation and the whole skill system and character advancement? Um, how do you feel those might be approached differently and avowed? I'm not sure. I, just to, just a just a. Uh back up a little and add to the comment that you had about like yeah, yeah. Light and, and really enjoying the skyrim games like i know for myself i wouldn't be on this podcast with you guys if it wasn't for skyrim because i i looked at fantasy rpgs before skyrim and i was like nah, I don't, i'm not into that game those kind of games i don't like them it's inventory heavy kind of stuff micromanagement mm -hmm. all that stuff like intimidated me i didn't like it a skyrim was something that got me into it not because it was for filthy casuals as some people have referred to them <laughs> but it was just it was accessible in a way that like i discovered the genre through it and i just like you i still really love these games i think the the context for this episode is we're saying that yeah obsidian and bethesda make different games and both games are super great but like you've mentioned the, the problem here is people are looking at avowed as skyrim 2 and it's like that's that's, that's not a good. problem. Yeah, it is. A... You're setting yourself up for disappointment because Avowed's going to be great as it is, and the next Elder Scrolls is going to be great the way it is. Um, just kind of character creation. I I wish, I hope, God willing, uh, that you choose your class at the start or double class uh, at the most. It adds so much more to replayability, and it really uh you know stresses that the it's important what you choose in character creation and you won't have skyrim style 
uh, you can do anything character you know mm. you you make a character in skyrim it can heal breathe fire uh, you know swing a sword uh, uh, shoot a bow sneak everything it's, i don't want to see this in about i want to feel like i want my character to have weak like clear weaknesses and things that it's missing but also strengths and also when choosing uh you know races i want it to matter uh, in some uh, major way not not like you know skyrim does it really matter what you choose other than combat wise i don't know even with um, that, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Once you get to like level yeah. 15 or something, it, it yeah. makes no difference. Yep. And in Morrowind, it doesn't matter what you choose. You're still an Inva. Yeah. I think like, again, we're seeing the difference between like Obsidian, when you choose a race or a class, it matters for the story. Like it, it segments your character as having a certain history and being a certain type of person. Whereas Bethesda, like the world is your oyster type thing, which is super great. Uh, but yeah, there's there's two very different things. If I wanted yeah. something like that, I'd just play Skyrim. I hope about is yeah, class selection. Sorry, go ahead. That, I interrupted. No, no, I was actually going to say I agree with you. Um, no, and, and the thing is too is that like you're right about that because especially when you start a game like Skyrim and you have the options to choose between different races and uh, whatnot, they they actually don't. At least from my experience, they haven't really had a big impact on what they can and what they can't do. So whether, regardless whether I choose to be a Nord or some sort of lizard, or I forgot the name of lizards, my bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so so whether you are sort of, regardless if you're an elf or a Nord or anything like that, I feel like there isn't much of a big role that these races play um, in the game, aside from just sort of a flavorful sort of narrative perspective you know what i mean like if you're just talking about you know hey this is what the elves used to do in terms of just context wise okay that's a different story but in terms of what they actually can do right i haven't really had much of a big like sort of difference in terms of like play or like gaming gamer experience to see oh like oh i noticed a big difference playing you know between an elf or an orc right i feel like after maybe what sora said or who i forgot who mentioned it but like after a certain level like whether you're 15 20 25 like it just starts to become irrelevant at that point right like you don't really see anything at all you you start to become sort of so so powerful that like you know regardless of what race you are like it doesn't play a role whatsoever in terms of how how you approach the world how you go about certain places and and whatnot so i yeah i kind of agree i hope avowed does make that an important role but not so hindering in a way like you know later you end up regretting it so much that it completely hinders your your experience so i feel like you know maybe some things like if you if you're part of say the elf race Maybe you can only join an elf clan at that, you know, at that sense. Or if you're a vampire, you can join only the vampire race in terms of like certain locations and whatnot. And you can't maybe like, I don't know, like, I just hope they don't hinder it too much. Yeah. But I yeah. see your point. Yeah. in like big, big quests or important quests, even if you have some kind of a hindrance, maybe you should have some kind of a, uh, more like a workaround to that, you know, I have to point out that actually in Morrowind, it actually matters uh, which sex you choose or gender. Uh, if you have a female character, you actually have easier time in the main quest in one point with when you have to persuade one character to be on your side. Mm -hmm. As the uh, this NPC hates men, 
<laughs> well, they tried to do that in Skyrim. They they with like the whole Khajiit and the how they're you know not trusted and they're kind of spat on and and then with the whole uh, the kind of dark elf kind of racism undertone. I mean, they tried to do it, but it was surface level, like everything else. It was yeah. it wasn't. There was no real depth to it. Exactly. Well, all, yeah, all yeah. That was outside of your own character, right? Like I did this. I did Skyrim twice. I played once as a Khajiit, once as a dark elf, and I saw those <laughs> two, same two nor- narratives. And but it didn't impact my character at all. I it didn't really matter what race I chose. Whereas I feel like in Pillars, or really it, probably any Obsidian game, if they have the options, what you choose to play as impacts that, right? Like I feel like if Obsidian had made that part of Skyrim with like a, the dark elf in uh, what was the city where they were experiencing discrimination, I don't remember. Windhelm. Windhelm, yeah. I feel like if Obsidian had made that, let's say, they would have said, if you're playing a Dark Elf, they're going to inject your character into that. Whereas in in uh, Bethesda, when they made it, you're just sort of observing it from the outside and interacting with it, whether it doesn't really matter what race you are. Yeah, I feel like, it, 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 again, I feel like the, the difference is, is depth and richness. And moving on, um, we talked about combat and weapons. Um, how about the way that magic is handled? Do you see about uh, continuing with um, what they established in Pillars um, and uh, Animancy and, and how that's all handled? Or do you, do you think they're going to take a total turn and go more to the, uh, I hate, this is the only word that's coming to my head, bland magic system of <laughs> Skyrim? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe I want to see Vancian system. Like instead of, you know, you have a Magicka par and you cast spells and take most Magicka, but you actually have, you know, D&D style Vancian spell or depending on the class, of course. And, and having some of those same spells that you have in Pillars games. And that some spells are, you know, you can cast as many as you want or I don't know with some kind of hindrance to that, but some spells you can only cast a number of times or once a, once a day or, or once per rest. I feel that 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 when it comes to to the magic system and, and how well, souls are intertwined with all this, I feel that it is so pivotal for the setting and for the, the flavor of of the games and also their stories that it, it would honestly be a great strategic mistake for Obsidian if they try to, uh, how shall I say this, um, streamline it, if they try to make it a more like, more like Skyrim system, more mana-based, it, it would be a great disservice to both the series, uh, of, of, yeah, the company, the franchise, but also the players if, if they did this. I understand that it would make it, would make it easier to introduce it uh, to players who, who might have been used for a more mana-based system or yeah, more flavorless system like the one we pointed Skyrim IMO but I, I think it would be a mistake so uh parenthesis what do you mean by like um the the, the mana system like what doesn't work about it exactly well I just feel um I mean just to make it absolutely clear you have a number of of, of points and each spell or ability uses a number of points and when you don't have enough points of, of this system you, you can't do the thing yeah, but uh, but the problem with it I have is that it's it, it 
it is not just it doesn't for me it doesn't feel like just a a mechanic when a wizard uh has say three spells uh three uh tries for the the second uh, level spells it feels like something that is a part of the world like it feels like physics it feels like this is how the world's made this is how wizards operate in this world they have built their uh they they have they have built institutions they have built their practices uh to, to do this it is not you know just something they do for fun it is something they do because they have to it resolves like like in the real world well if people i don't never mind <laughs> um, okay i maybe i'll have a take on this like maybe it's it's a lore based thing like where does your power come from you know mm-hmm. visits they memorize spells they have their spell grimoire or spell book that they put a number of spells that on them that they then can use and you know druids get their uh, spells from other other source uh ciphers it's it's another kind of magic you know the magic is different but in skyrim the magic it's all it all stems from you know julianos and you know the same source and they all the magic always operates in the same way but Mm -hmm. Well, and everyone has access to it. Like maybe people specialize in Skyrim, but yeah, anyone can access any magic in Skyrim because, because it's if you you know, I hope that if you choose a class like fighter or rogue or hunter, uh, you don't have access to magics. Uh, you you have to have a, a you know mage to cast uh, you know dazzling sparks or whatever mm. that spell was. So I think I think I see where you're coming from, Kivi. And, and parenthesis, I, I see I see your point too. Like I think what you, what you guys are trying to like correct me if I'm wrong. I obviously, like I'm to just to get the bigger picture. So what you mean to say is that because there's such a limit to 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 how much magic you can use, maybe it's not so good if all the magic is shared with that mana pool. Right. Is that, is that what you guys mean to say? It's like the fact that it's shared and the fact that if you just suddenly run out, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm sort of stuck in a situation where I can't sort of use more magic. Right. So, well, it, it's more that it makes the world bland. It's more oh, that, okay. that it, it takes the, 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 the differentiation that was that was based both in, in place, but also in how does does this class work and says, oh, now they all work differently. Now they all work in this this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same uh, wizards and and uh, and so on. Just all, you all take the, the. It's just you take something that is unique and you all boil it down to the same thing. They do, yeah, sure. One, one of them casts a, a fireball, and the other one is is particularly good at uh, healing others, smiting them. But it all boils down to the same number of points. There are, is no big differentiation between the classes. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should integrate sort of like like sort of a mechanic where if you were to use the magic system um, in Avowed, you would maybe not only have to use sort of your mana pool, but maybe it would also absorb some of your life energy too. So that would sort of deteriorate your health maybe temporarily. I'm not sure if that would be maybe a good idea you guys be, would be open to um, or seeing. 
but maybe introducing those new sacrificing or, or the cost of what mana is, maybe they need to just revamp that or rechange it or, or tackle that approach completely or different than, than maybe what Skyrim has. Because I, I do agree, it is a little bit too simplified and it does use a sharing mana pool. And like when you're done, it's just like you're done completely. You know what I mean? Like I kind of find it funny how you're able to use an ability one second and then just after you're done, it's just boop. You're kind of just stuck there you know what i mean i think i think like that's you know what you uh, propose it's uh, you know having magic about with extra steps um mm -hmm. it's like in pillars you had blood mage and it was a subclass for mage or wizard and you know he sacrificed or she sac sacrificed some of hp for to cast more spells i think that that's one way to have you know having subclasses i i, I think that's mm -hmm about but i think um i still think the magic should be more like bansian that you have some spells are really strong and you shouldn't be able to use them a lot or often and some mm -hmm. spells are weaker and you should dish out them some more but not indefinitely and some some spells are you know very, very mundane and you can cast them indefinitely mm -hmm. then you have your weapon and i think like if you had this type of uh, magic uh, it it could hinder uh, you know solo play but it, then it ties to having companions that uh, you have a fighter companion and for example a priest companion and then you play mage and mm -hmm. it works out mm -hmm. i think like yeah. to get back to what you originally said was like it's not so much that this one magic system is vastly superior to the other but it's more about it would it would almost be a betrayal to the world of Aora from a lore perspective and from the player base who was in Pillars. It would almost be a betrayal to switch over systems, you know, because we've already established that this is how magic works in Aora. And then to completely overhaul it would be like, okay. Especially if they did something like, say, take away um, a lot of animancy stuff. Like if they, for example, took animancy out of the picture, I would just, I wouldn't even consider it part of the same world at that point, personally. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think I think it's I think this pretty much I don't see I think this is almost 100% that they're going to stick with magic as being a manipulation of soul essences. I mean, every cl class, I mean, is tied to that. I mean, you you look at wizards and they're using of grim grimoires to absorb and hold ambient soul energies. The ciphers are the ones that manipulate the souls of others and they kind of draw the essence uh to focus their magic um that uh who are some others the chanters they uh they like stir the collective memory of the wayward souls around them all of that is embedded that kind of uh you can't take it out otherwise you really are going to fail i mean oh, yeah. because you have just then completely dissolved everything you've worked on and uh it's that's not going to happen it's going to be different it's going to be some similarities because there are similarities between pillars and uh skyrim a little bit as far as magic goes because they're all kind of based on loosely on um dungeons and dragons and fantasy right so those tropes exist in both but i feel like it's really kind of focused and pillars and i think avowed is going to be even more focused um gameplay wise how much of a difference will we notice maybe not a whole lot but um story wise and as far as character uh power wise is going to be very different um 
I mean, you're 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 a druid, and uh, avowed. You're a druid. I mean that that's what you are, and it defines you, and it defines the magic you can tap into, and it defines everything about how you use magic. You you can't be a druid in an Elder Scrolls game, and even if they did slap a druid on there in Elder Scrolls, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to restrict your gameplay if you want to roleplay as a druid in Skyrim. You just have to choose. <laughs> I'm not going to use these spells. Self-imposed, yes. It's yeah, a self-imposed yeah. thing. Um, at risk of us going too long today, I wanted to kind of end on something that's really important to me that I really like. And this is going to be one of those areas, email people, where I bow down to your bow down to Skyrim. Um, and I'll probably get some kickback from the group here. But uh, music and sound in Elder Scrolls in my opinion, <laughs> here we go. In my opinion, is significantly better than what we've seen from Obsidian. I love, obviously. Oh, how dare I, you? How I know. Dare? I'm just kidding. Right. I'm just kidding. No, no. Hey, I, I, I end every podcast with uh, the music from Pillars of Eternity because I absolutely love it. And I listen to it recreationally. I, I'm driving in my car and I listen to it. I'm that much of a nerd. But it's different and it plays into gameplay differently. I feel like, and let me see if I can explain it really well. Uh, as much as he might be an interesting person to defend, but um, Jeremy Sold, did I yeah. pronounce his name? Yeah, right? yeah, that's, that's a composer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he does, he is setting his personality to the side and everything we know about the, that's been happening with him. Um, his music is brilliant and what he does with ambient music, which I think is really where he excel excels in ambient music in Skyrim and in all of the fantasy worlds that he's been involved in have really made immersion possible where there really is very little opportunity for immersion. Whereas obsidian games are already incredibly immersive because of the story and how they pull you in. Um, and the uniqueness of your characters <clears throat> and the music adds to that. But if you look even at the soundtracks and you listen to the soundtrack for Skyrim and you listen to the soundtrack for PoE2, for example, PoE2 is orchestral. It is, these are <clears throat> individual tracks. These are individual tracks that are orchestral and brilliant and sound amazing. In Skyrim, these are really more ambient individual tracks these are not really orchestral compositions how do you guys feel about what i just said did i just jump off a cliff <laughs> no okay 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 one second one second i actually want to add to this this is really important so here's the thing sora like like i actually come also from a music production background okay so so i know a lot also about um how the music is also composed and in different you know whether it's games movies and whatnot but I'll say this, I think in the defense of Obsidian, so so I think that, you know, their, their games, the nature of their games is more like bird's eye view, like especially PoE, right? It's more like, um, I don't want to say entry level, sort of the structure of the games is a little bit more simple. I'll just put it that way. It's a little more simple to add, say, more like ambient music and, and sort, of the, sort of the degree of what was put in Skyrim is i don't want to say it's a little bit too much 
for PoE, like the PoE series, but but it, it just doesn't align as much as you, sort of what maybe the consumer or the gamer would expect, right? So if I'm playing, say, a game like, you know, this is just an example, like RuneScape, you know, it's more like of a third-person bird's-eye view-ish uh, game. You know, I'm not going to expect some sort of rich compositions by sort of, you know, uh, whether it's Jeremy's soul or... or or anybody else in that in that sort of uh, nature. It's just because the game is so simple, and you know, I, I don't really expect any more from, from from sort of what the game already is, and what sort of it entails, and what sort of it offers. So I think that given now they're taking the approach of avowed, I think they will certainly put music like Jeremy's Soul, right? And and that's because now the game has transitioned from being something like as basic as PoE, being a bird's eye view or third sort of third person ish perspective, to now a first person person perspective, and that changes things completely, like to a whole new level. So while it's true that maybe I do agree with you, obviously the music in Skyrim is far more rich and and you know it's more immersive. It's just so much more emotional and you know especially like one of my favorite tracks is the one from Solstheim. I, I don't I could not find it till this day, but it's really really immersive. And so you know while it's true that they don't have that now, I think in Avowed they're going to take that approach. They're going to add that that new level of immersion by using sort of similar soundtracks and music that was offered in uh in skyrim and even the witcher and other sort of related games and they're going to take it to a whole new level so i still have you know sort of that expectation from them and they will move forward to that good feedback i appreciate your take on it for sure yeah yeah i mean it's just sort of what i what i expect it's just expectations at the end of the day you know like the the consumer has expectations you know if i'm playing sort of a 2d game like say mario you know are you going to expect, say, more rich compositions like, you know, Jeremy Soul, or are you going to expect sort of more two-bit sort of sounds, right? It's it's just expectations <laughs> at the end. So I, I think, you know, first-person perspective. They, they should do all two-bit music for about. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> just imagine you're playing, you know, the monsters. You're just like, did it, did it, It'll be an extra option in the menu. Definitely. I mean, I love Justin Bell. He's the guy for Pillars. I love his stuff. Um, I It's just, and it's just very, it's more complete it has a beginning middle and an end whereas the stuff that uh was done for skyrim fits in so well because it has no real beginning middle and end yeah, it's just yeah. kind of a flow the music you just need that for the difference but, in games right you know like, yeah yeah go ahead go ahead i mean like in pillars of eternity which is very reading heavy like you're spending a lot of time reading text i think complementing the game with like with music that that justin bell made for that game it really works for that. Whereas if you had ambient music and you're reading all the time, I think that that would take away. So that, that might be one reason for it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look at the outer worlds. I think the Justin bell who did the music for that one as well, that's a little more ambient. Oh, it's a lot more ambient than pillars. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I didn't mm -hmm. think about that. Good point. Uh, I, I'm sure he has the versatility. I just, it may have just, like you said, be more that one is more reading driven, more text driven. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, you know who they should hire though? They should hire Howard Shore for the music oh, composition for for yes. for, for Vad. You know, that guy comes from the Lord of the Rings, and I'm telling you right now, the music in that movie series or that trilogy is just phenomenal. I think they should really bring him on to the game. Everything yeah, he's ever Randy done. Newman. Randy Newman 100 <laughs> or, or yeah, right. I mean, you think of all these wonderful composers. I mean, I just I uh, but I I give, I give they're gonna stick with him. You know they're gonna stick with him and he can do it, he'll pull it off mm -hmm. for us. Um, I do want to round it out today because I don't want to 
make us too long an episode. And um, just if, if anybody has any final comments of, of if you were to talk to someone who I'm not going to use the table thing again, but if you were to talk to someone who uh, is coming into to avowed from Skyrim, never playing uh, any obsidian game ever, um, what would be the warning tag you would give them? Hmm. Expect changes. Good. Yeah. yeah, it is not going to be Skyrim. Like uh, it, it, it comes from two completely different sources. Bethesda and Obsidian. They both make RPGs, but they come at RPGs from a completely different angle. I mean, look at the divide between Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas that people have. It's the same universe, and it's mm-hmm. two different companies and there's subtle differences, but that makes all the difference, even just between those two games. Both to NPCs. You guys actually make a really good point because because I do expect the same thing. I want changes. You know, if I want to play Skyrim 2.0, what, what's the point in that, right? Like, I could just go play Skyrim, right? I yeah. want to see something different, right? You know, we already have things like if you want to experience a new version of Skyrim, like a more modded, heavily modded with like textures and whatnot, you can do that on your own, right? But if you're going to play, you know, a new RPG for the next generation, you know, consoles or PC, I want to try something new. Right. So, so I totally agree with you guys on that. Like, you know, hopefully everybody sort of has that sort of mindset coming into the game, you know, expect changes. Which brings me into our fan questions. Cause I, I picked these out. Um, got quite a few emails the past few weeks. Thank you again for emailing us, um, about cast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, these are interesting. Uh, the first one is from tuxedo kitty. Um, and it says, will about overshadow elder scroll six, or even make its eventual release after Avowed feel disappointing? Um, I don't think we know much information yet to maybe jump the boat on this one, but uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I can't really answer to, like, I give a sort of rigid or solid answer to that. Um, again, I think it's just more about expectations, and, and uh, we expect that it would. I sincerely doubt that that about is is going to make people either disapp- in any way disappointed with Elder Scrolls Six. Uh, I mean, if 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 that was going to happen, it's going to happen because something went wrong in Bethesda, and Elder Scrolls Six is is just a bad product. I don't think it will be, but anyway. I think that people will, will perhaps expect Skyrim Two Point Zero, and then they will go in, and then they will say, "Hey, this isn't as exploration focused, and hey, this is different. That is different. This is too complicated for me." And then the Elder Scrolls Six is going to come out and say, "Oh yes, oh, well, of course they're bitch as usual because this is not Skyrim 2.0. They have in their mind this is an actual product." But eventually they'll they'll they will go down and it like a hot bath. They'll say, "Yes, now I'm home. Now that I've just adjusted my expectations." I don't think because like you can look at other games too, like Dragon Age. That didn't take down anything Elder Scrollsy, um, but it, it is also very very popular amongst RPG players. I think it'll just be mm-hmm. its own game in this genre that we all love. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think one thing that Avowed has done is it's given Elder Scrolls Six some breathing room. I think that by the act, uh, you know, acquisition of uh, Microsoft owning both companies, um, I I feel like. It, it may it allowed Elder Scrolls Six to kind of relax a little bit. They know that there's another RPG coming, not similar, um, maybe, but close enough that it could kind of fill that appetite 
Um, I, and maybe since they're within the same company, they have these executives are saying, okay, that's fine. Avowed's coming out 2023. You guys, you don't have to come out with Elder Scrolls six until 2026 or whatever, that's you know, actually, that's mm-hmm. actually a really good point. Cause like cyberpunk suffered from that, that there was nothing remotely like what that they were aiming to do coming out. So everyone was just constantly like, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? But yeah, with avowed coming out, people might not be as crazy for elder Scrolls six, I suppose. Yeah, it might relinquish that tension a little bit. Um, I have another email from uh, Dilbert Dominion. I assume he's talking about the cartoon Dilbert. I don't know. Maybe maybe his name is Dilbert. Dilbert Dominion wrote an email and said, I've heard Avald is using Unreal Engine 4. Do you think they might jump over to Unreal Engine 5 like Ninja Theory, or will they leech off of Starfield's new engine since they are both Microsoft companies? It's it's actually a good question. Um, I, I, well, the thing is, is Unreal Engine Four is already obviously a very grand, um, it's already used. It's a very popular engine that's being used by a lot of uh, developers. Uh, with that being said, I like personally, I don't know what the compatibility options and that, that are available to transition from Unreal Engine 4 to Unreal Engine 5. But what makes Unreal Engine 5 really amazing is that, is that um, you know, having to integrate their their Niagara Falls, their, I said Niagara Falls, but it's the Niagara system is, is really awesome. Their also waterwork system is, is tremendous. On top of that, their Quixel mega scan is, is, is also really phenomenal. It makes it so that your ZBrush imported assets are very, um, I would say, uh, optimized to the engine without you doing the, the optimization yourself. So what I'm trying to say is that basically the Unreal Engine 5 allows for much more efficient workflows and you'll be able to get your titles out there much faster than you would on Unreal Engine 4. Now, I don't know what sort of the process that uh, Obsidian is sort of at in terms of uh, Avowed. I don't know how far they've got sort of gone through it. And I don't know how they'll be able to transition to Unreal Engine 5 should they want to. So you know it's a good question if they sort of have the budget the time that temporary time to sort of set aside to go like okay hey we need to transition to unreal engine 5 maybe it could speed up things a little bit that would be great uh, i think there is some possibility i would say it's like a 50 50 hit or miss who knows i think they, they still have that option depending on sort of the ki- uh, compatibility issues between uh, unreal engine 5 and 4 so we'll, i think we're gonna have to see I'm looking at a, I just did a quick Google search and apparently uh, Epic Games has made a feature for Unreal Engine 5 that there is a lot of forward compatible options. So if a a developer was in Engine 4 and they want to go through up to Engine 5, apparently it's a streamlined process. I don't know the details of how it works, but they very well could transition in Unreal 5 now that it's It would make sense that they would want to give some companies some sort of way to migrate if they're, you know, if you're developing Mm -hmm. a product for five years and you're two, you could probably jump engines. Um, I don't know. Again, we don't know how far they are or what their projection is. Exactly, exactly. But I would think if they're more than 50% through, I highly doubt, I highly don't see them doing that, especially since, you know, their competitor is not even looking at Unreal Engine 5. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, in Starfield, there's a lot of iffy stuff. I mean, that... I mean, uh, they're the same company. I mean, they're in the same company, so they could share the same tech. But I just feel like um, when they do that in Bethesda, they don't make the engine for other people. They make it for themselves. 
So they kind of have, they kind of know what they're looking for and it's uniquely designed really for themselves. And that's kind of what they did when they designed the last engine instead of going with what everybody else was doing. Um, so I don't see at all them jumping over to the Starfield engine. I just don't think that's going to happen. Plus we, there's, there's a little bit of history between the companies, so I don't know how much they're going to work together. I mean, there was the whole debacle with New Vegas and that they did, they got 84% on Metacritic. They didn't get 85%, so they didn't get the bonus that was in their contract. And there was a lot of negative between the two companies. Obsidian and Bethesda were not necessarily friendly in that whole lawsuit. Um, mm -hmm. Who knows where they're at right now in their relationship, but <clears throat> I don't know that they're going to walk across the hall and say, yeah, can we borrow that? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just glad they're using the, the Unreal Engine. Like, it, it, in my opinion, it's obviously better than the creation engine altogether. You know, just expecting for Unreal Engine 4 alone is, is really good, right? So to have to transition to Unreal Engine 5 is just, wow, it's just a magnificent step. So I have no complaints with that. And so if they can transition and, and make it so that it's really highly compatible in that sense, and wow, that's really great news. Okay, we have a last email here. Uh, last email is from Jasmine. Um, Jasmine wrote and asked, this is a, uh, let me see. This, do you think Microsoft will be able to repair Obsidian's, oh wait, this, uh, this is, okay. Do you think Microsoft will be able to repair Obsidian's relationship with Bethesda after the Fallout New Vegas fallout? <laughs> I actually but, don't even know what happened. Wait, can you guys explain <laughs> that to me? <laughs> what happened? So Obsidian was due a large bonus payout for, like I mentioned just in the last question, I guess that's why it was in my head is because I'd already read this question, but mm -hmm. um, they were due a large bonus payout for positive critical response. And a lot of companies do this, they will say, and they did this for Cyberpunk, they'll say that if you hit, in Metacritic, you hit a certain um, uh, percentage, like if you get 85 or higher, which was their case, um, we're going to give you this huge bonus, this huge payout. Um, well, they got 84. <laughs> so um, it was not good. And they they were said they didn't meet it. And so there was there's some bad blood there. Again, I'm only reading, I'm only privy to what I've read on the internet. It's what really happened and whether that was all overblown. And maybe their relationship is, maybe they're friendly neighbors, who knows. But um, I know that there was there was some fallout after that, no pun intended. I think. The guy, one of the guys who really messed things up was Chris Avalone, was his name, when he had that tweet where he, uh, let me see if I can find it. Yep. Yeah, he had he put a tweet out uh, where he had, he has a history with the company, by the way. He was the one who left Obsidian or will, was asked to leave Obsidian um, or was fired, I guess is the way to put it. Um, and has some disgruntled employee syndrome. But he put out this tweet uh, that Obsidian routinely burns bridges. It's why no publisher works with them twice, while Paradox worked with them on two occasions with Pillars of Eternity 1. PDX was fulfilling market rewards, no guiding POE, and their next effort with Obsidian, Tyranny. I don't know. He's 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 basically saying that uh, the company burns bridges, and that was in direct relation to that whole fallout 
of the Metacritic scandal. So anyway, Jasmine, to answer your question, <clears throat> who knows? I think that they're a different company now than they were when that happened. I think that they're, yeah, the same people are in charge of both companies. I feel like <clears throat> this is a professional area where that kind of re revenge or that kind of <laughs> hatred <laughs> is not going to, I mean, they're different stages. I mean, look, look at how profitable Obsidian has become. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they're owned by the same company. Yeah, I mean they've they've grown since then too, and they've had personnel changes, I'm sure. So uh, you know, things things can definitely change. And I mean, Microsoft didn't they start a subsidiary uh, game studio called Vault, which has people from different studios coming yes. together? I don't know the details. That's like I don't know. Maybe that is them working together on something like Fallout, since it's called Vault. I think there's a potential that they could repair bridges there. I, I know that there are people hired with Microsoft in their central division that specifically their job is to go to all the companies, find out what's going on with the companies. And the whole purpose of their job is to help. This is boiling it down is to help with sharing is to help. Oh, Hey, uh, this company over here is having an issue with this. You know what, uh, Bob over at, XXX, it, he's really good at that. Maybe you guys could give him a call, which is a genius idea for any company to do, mm -hmm. um, is to have these people who basically migrate between companies and find out, you know, who would, who maybe could help you with this issue or help you with that issue. And, and I know they also have, Microsoft does this round table thing every year. I forgot what it's called, where they, they bring in developers. So it's like a big GDC, but it's, it's Microsoft only. And, they come in and they share ideas where they're at. They kind of talk across the table. Oh, what did you do for your combat? How did you do that? And they'll share ideas. So I know they kind of nice. surface level. Uh, they, from what I understand, facilitate that kind of cooperation. So, Well, from a management perspective too, if, if you're Microsoft and you have two companies that are under your management, Bethesda and Obsidian, if they, let's say, got into some like, war with each other where they're just constantly slandering each other it actually devalues you microsoft as well and so you need to be on top of that but the best way to do that is to get them to actually work together and cooperate versus just not fight so i, I don't know i'm actually kind of hopeful that if there is any bad blood between them that microsoft will try to promote a work environment where they'll actually repair that yeah, I don't think they can afford to be at each other's necks i don't think i think that they have to reevaluate if they if person in that type of business i don't think they'll be successful for very long so yeah well obsidian definitely can't afford it microsoft spent 7.5 billion dollars to get bethesda i think bethesda probably would take most priority if they had to choose true good point <laughs> good point all right so uh i'm gonna wrap it up uh this was a good episode guys thank you for joining me i want to give you a chance to do some shout outs uh gingerino what do, what do you got going on um, so I'm still going hard at the world of Aora, the lore podcast for Pillars of Eternity and Avowed, because they're all in the same world. So if anyone's interested in the lore for any of those worlds, especially as we get up for Avowed releasing, check it out. Uh, world of Aora on almost all pod podcasting platforms. Um, yeah, I have another project which is going to come out later this year that's kind of Fallout related, which I'm excited about, but I can't talk about it very much, uh, mostly because... We have me and the crew that are doing it have to take a few months break uh, uh, 
from the project. I'll, I'll get more into it in the future. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds very cool. Uh, Triometry, what have you been up to? Oh, well, uh, first, I just want to sincerely apologize for coming late to the podcast, guys. Really am. Um, but uh, yeah, honestly, just working out on some content, uh, starting off with my channel and um, also really wanting to put content starting around like I'd say May or June-ish. I was supposed to do the, the I believe it was like sort of contribution video between the community, but it seemed like not a lot of people wanted to be involved. You know, uh, and so I was like, okay, you know what? I'll probably just start off with sort of a different avowed related content. So expect that maybe this, like I said, maybe this May or June, it's going to be something along the lines of also uh, sort of maybe sort of anticipated features or what you can expect from the game. Again, this is just sort of like fan base coming from me. So definitely, if you guys have any more questions regarding that, you can hit me up on my channel. It's Triometry, and that's T-R-I-O-M-E-T-R-Y. And I'm also on Reddit just frequently here and there, and that's also uh, Reddit at Triometry. Oh, man. Triometry, hit me up. I want to be involved. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a problem, of course. Yeah, More people. You guys cool. need to and... jump on the boat. This is this sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. And definitely let me know about your project. I'm actually keen on, on hearing that as well. Really looks sounds amazing already. You just teased me there already. <laughs> it's great. You should listen to it. He does a great job. And uh, uh, a lot of research. Of course. A lot of great information in a good short amount of time, which is not what I tend to do with my short episodes uh, here. So we're at two hours already. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, both you guys credit to what you're doing. Uh, Kiwi, where can people find you? In the ocean. I'm going to dive. <gasps> <laughs> That's my favorite part. Every time he does it, I it's just a deep love ocean, it. right? It's not surface level; it's deep. Oh. Uh, so they'll have to dive real deep. Uh, Princess, do you want anybody to find you? Uh, not yet, but I'm working up the courage to do some uh, some streaming. Uh, I was thinking of going through uh, King of Dragon Pass and giving my uh, my unqualified uh, talking points about it. I'll watch. I'm ready. Just let share it, man. Let us know if you want to do that because I'm always up for that kind of stuff. So that's, that sounds like fun. Um, okay. Thanks, guys, for, for jumping in today. We kind of uh, bashed Skyrim a little bit, but uh, we really <laughs> want to drive home the idea that these are different games and that you can't go into it. You need to go into it with an open mind. You need to understand it's a different game. It's a different company. There will be similarities, but they may not be as many. There may not be as many as you as you think. And the nah, feel, they're going to be the same game pretty much in every oh way. Oh my god, the feel <laughs> of the game is going to be different. I have hope. I have hope. <laughs> I have hope. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll right. make sure it's different. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. And if you have questions or comments, uh, email us at avowedcast at uh, gmail.com. You can see us on Twitter at avowedcast. We also have a website, avowedcast.com. And if you have any complaints or criticisms or anything, you know, that you really want kind of the hate mail kind of thing, that goes to gingerino at gmail.com. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not far off. There's a, there's one character difference in the email. Oh. That, was, that was real close. Thanks for that. They'll figure it out. Uh, trust me. Well, let me know if you guys find Sora, uh, not Sora, Kiwi out in the ocean there, because he actually dropped off the entire recording. Which <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's hilarious. <sighs> All right. Thanks, guys. And we'll see everybody next time.
I see it. The shackles about your soul. They're in you, the gods. And you, their puppet.